Welcome to As I Live and Grieve, a podcast that tells the truth about how hard this is. We're glad you joined us today. We know how hard it is to lose someone you love and how well-intentioned friends and family try so hard to comfort us. We created this podcast to provide you with comfort, knowledge, and support. We are grief advocates, not professionals, not licensed therapists. We are you. Today we are speaking with Eleanor Ward. Eleanor has risen like a phoenix from all the horrific things life has thrown at her. She has battled grief, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, continuous unemployment, and found her way back from them all. She has managed to carve out an amazing life helping others when their words come crashing down so that they can get back up and do all they were purposed in this life to do. Eleanor completely understands fear, being in a stuck state, and missing out on opportunity when it comes calling. Once she understood that nothing and no one could stop her from fulfilling her purpose God had for her, she completely turned her life around. Eleanor devotes her life to helping others find their fresh start and completely renew their life through her programs, coaching, and speaking. Eleanor is a start-fresh expert who delivers high-energy keynote presentations that challenge audiences to maintain their focus and pay attention to what matters most in their life. Audiences love her described as the light-hearted, hilarious, and the busiest bee in the room. Eleanor earned her MBA from Ashford University. Her strong background in the medical and collegiate world taught her learning, development, and managing small clinical corporate teams. With grueling deadlines makes her the perfect fit to push you forward in your transformation to jumpstart your life. Hi, Eleanor, and thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Kathy. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Eleanor, as we will hear... Eleanor is walking her grief journey with all of us. She describes herself as having risen as a phoenix from the ashes. Listeners, it's no secret I like to offer a tidbit at times in our episodes, and today's no different. To best appreciate this phrase, risen as a phoenix, let me give you some background. The phoenix bird is a mythical bird from Greek mythology. It was a feathered creature of great size with talons and wings, plumage radiant and beautiful. The phoenix lived for 500 years before it built its own funeral pyre, burst into flame, and died, consumed in its own fiery inferno. Soon after, the mythical creature rose out of the ashes in a transformation from death to life. Eleanor, I'm excited to hear what you have for us today, but could you first please offer our listeners a bit of your background? My grief journey, I guess, involves losing my husband and my son about 14 years ago, and it was my oldest son. And I was married for about 20 years when everything happened. So I was was a very young widow and unexpected at 34 to have to become the breadwinner and Mm. all those things that you were not expecting to do and take care of my son as a single mom. I have a background in psychology and also working in mental health as well and been in the medical field as well, working for many years, I've stepped out of that to do life coaching now, and that's where my focus is. When I first had everything happen, it was awful. I was letting people say anything to me. I was letting people talk any kind of way to under the guise of they were supposedly being kind and didn't know what to say in their grief, but it was just really bad, and it sent me into a, a spiraling place that I didn't understand or know, and I came to understand that there's got to be a better way, and so for over a decade, 
I was in this mess where you really couldn't say anything to me and I didn't want to talk to you about it. And if I said it, I didn't even want you to say, I'm sorry. It was just like, yeah, get away from me. <laughs> and so then I got to the space where I said, this doesn't work. And I started looking into grief management and it was right. virtually non-existent. Grief management was just come breathe with us and be sad and, and melancholy all the time. So I had to come and understand that's not going to work either. And so I started fighting for my sanity. And so about three years ago, I really started pushing myself to understand how to manage my grief. And that's where I'm at now. I help people to manage their grief through trauma and loss. I, I love that phrase, manage grief, because that's really what we do. So let's get started. We've established through other podcast episodes, through other guests, how unique grief is for each and every person. We kind of liken it to a fingerprint. It's just totally unique. And also how it can feasibly last the rest of our lives. Although the intensity and emotions change over a period of time. I know I lost my husband a little over three years ago. And I finally came to that realization and later acceptance that I probably will grieve for the rest of my life. But as we sit in our immediate grief, devastated, overwhelmed, spiraling, that concept of lasting the rest of our lives is the last thing we want to hear. We want to get over it, like people keep suggesting. But you, Eleanor, help those in grief learn to manage their grief and, in their own fashion, rise like a phoenix. What process do you use to accomplish this? Well, first, I help you to understand that grief is part of your life and will be the rest of your life. And honestly, that's a foreign concept. People look at me like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And even some that I just do, like over the phone with, they're kind of, I get this long pause and, Then they go, I've never thought of it like that. And so once I get you to take that concept in, then I try to help you to understand now there's a process. Now you have to, it doesn't matter how long you've been in it. I had been in it over a decade, but it was literally like starting from scratch. I I tell you to look at how it was when the person first passed. What were you going through? And I help you to begin to journal those things down. What feelings were you going through? What were people saying to you? Because- It could be one thing someone says to you that triggers you so bad in your grief that you can't get past it. And you may not know until you've written it down and go, oh, I remember that lady saying it at the funeral or memorial, whatever it was. And you're like, that really stuck with me. Yeah. And so I help you to start to do that. And then typically I try to work with you over a six, eight or 12 week period. And in that six, eight or 12 week period, depending on what you choose to work with me for, I begin to show you how to manage the grief. What triggers will trigger you in your grief? Because I don't know what triggers you in your grief. You don't know what triggers me in mine. So we have to work and find it out because there are triggers, depending on what you did with the person. A birthday may be a really great trigger for you. For me, Mm -hmm. not so much. Uh, It could be holidays. It could simply be uh, certain things that you did together, certain movies you watch. And so you may have to cut some of those things out of your life for a little while. And there may be people connected to some of those things that also trigger you. So I help you to understand some of the associations you have may not be helping you either. And the manager of your grief is only you. You can't dump it on somebody else, not your church, not your friends, not, you you know, your pastor. You have to sit down and say, this is what I'm doing. This is what I am going to focus on. And I tell you, you kind of come out ahead and how you start handling your grief and even the things that are said to you. So that's kind of what I do to help you kind of get on that path. What would you say to someone who was reluctant to believe that they could ever reach a point of moving on? 
I will let them know you've already moved on. You're still here. You're still living every day. You've moved on. You just haven't known you've moved on because you chose to put yourself in a what they call a stuck state, a good old psychology word there, a stuck state of not moving ahead. And the only person that put yourself there really is you. They passed, they're gone, the time has gone. And so you look up and you may say, well, I've been feeling this way for a year or five years or whatever the case may be, because you haven't allowed yourself to think about anything else. So I let them know this is where mindset change comes in. And we know that's a big buzzword, but it's just a matter of setting your mind to something else. Right. And I tell them, set your mind on on moving ahead, on moving on, not leaving the memories, not not loving the person, but how can I live my life now and then have this kind of connected to me, but not overruling my whole life. Do you accomplish this in a virtual setting or by phone? I know you mentioned a few minutes ago um, that you do have some that you speak with by phone. But do you do it virtual as well? Because during the pandemic, if we've learned anything, it's that we can do a lot more stuff virtually, <laughs> which is fantastic. <laughs> and how frequently do you speak with your clients usually? I can do virtual or by phone uh, with the pandemic. I don't do as much. I used to kind of meet people in what I call happy places and spaces, parks, libraries, stuff like that. But like you said, it's we got to move into other things. So now I do Zoom. Or, you know, we could do it over the phone or we can, I can't think of what the other one is called that's popular outside the Zoom, but um, however they feel comfortable and that's what we do. And it's pretty much, you know, hate to say hands off because I hate not being there to be able to do the hug. I know. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's the safest way right now. So that's what I do to be able to to speak with them and, and contact them. I'm sorry. What was the second part of the question? Oh, and how frequently do you speak with your clients? I, I do once a week and I tell them, even if let's say you have to miss or life gets busy, then I ask them, can we still connect either through a messenger service like Instagram or Facebook where we can just still have our session online because maybe life got in the way or even if we have to text because like I tell them, when you let go of a week, something typically happens. I don't know what and you can kind of get set back. So weekly while we're working things out. Yeah. That's a great plan. And I I like your comments about when you lose a week, that's applicable to so many parts of our lives too. When you get out of a, even a routine that you've newly established, it's very quick to just let it fall by the side. So I think it's great that you try some, some way of staying in contact with them on that basis. I'd like to go back to the phrase of manage grief. And I'd like to offer our listeners an example. For someone who recently lost their spouse, say a marriage of almost 50 years, and the spouse was the one in the family who paid all the bills, managed things like vacation planning, and almost all the details and decisions of the household, where would you start to help this spouse that's been left behind, who has had virtually all decisions made for her, where would you start to help her move on? Ooh, that was me. <laughs> oh my God, I was sitting up like, oh my God, that was so me. Um, well, I literally would start, we wouldn't even start grief management. I would spend probably the first couple of weeks helping her to learn to manage her household. And that's still part of grief management. I had no clue what I was doing. I had no clue who to call about certain things. Um, my husband handled so much and 
that's what I had wished I had help with, not how to do everything, but it was more so where do I start? So what I would probably sit them down with, and I've had some people in this situation is, you know, first things first, you're now in control. Don't call someone's husbands. Don't call the parents. Don't call all these people because, and I'm going to say this with truth and people get a little upset. Unfortunately, you don't know what people will do when your, your co-half has gone. And That's very true. if you're giving all this private information, I've seen it happen where they'll take your, your money or do things sure. because they have yeah. your info. So I tell sure. people, you're in control now. And so we make a, a quick list of all the things that you never did as a spouse or mate. And then we mm-hmm. look at all the things that you, you now have to do within the next 30 days. And that helps the person to understand, wow, before I get overwhelmed, you know, these are the most important things and these other things I can start coming into a little bit later. And so when people can have things kind of in front of them as a list, it becomes less overwhelming than things just kind of taking control. Because for me, everything was everything was on my head. I was just like, everything's coming now. <laughs> and, you know, I just didn't have that help. So and, and the biggest thing is to help them feel empowered. You're you know, you are now everything for your home. And I know that sounds overwhelming, but actually can be empowering when they understand you get to make all the decisions. You get to figure out what's going to work best and you don't have to turn to everybody else. So I think when I empower them and they know, okay, it's me, things can kind of change. It must be so refreshing for um, your clients in these situations to know that they have someone that they can kind of reach out to when they feel overwhelmed especially since you've been through it yourself, that you know exactly how they're feeling and some of the obstacles and challenges that they face. I know it also probably has to keep their minds extremely busy and might delay some parts of their grief journey as well. In your uh, working with a client, do you recommend any alternative treatments or therapies like yoga, meditation, finger tapping, journaling, things like that? I definitely recommend journaling. Some of the physical items I recommend later later on in the journey, the fingers having the yoga, the meditation, all those things. Meditation I recommend early on, but anything physical exercise, especially if it's something they haven't done in a long time, it can throw people off and they begin to feel like I can't do it. I can't do these poses. And then this frustration sets in that can throw off the grief journey. So I tell them other things. Let's put that over here in 60 days, 90 days. And that seems to work a little better when they can incorporate a little bit at a time because you're still grieving. I remember I was trying, I called myself going on this journey of I'm going to go to the gym and get a a trainer and I'll just get through the grief that way. And three of the sessions I broke down and cried through most of it. So I was like, well, hmm, that didn't work. And of course, I didn't know about managing my grief at the time. So I thought literally I remember laying across the elliptical crying and I couldn't understand why. But the exercise was kind of giving those endorphins that were kind of dormant. And instead of being happy, they were sad. And so it brought about a bunch of tears. So I always think of that journey like let's wait before we have you hit the gym. And so you don't get either upset because you can't do it or addicted because you're just putting your all into it. So I definitely recommend counseling as well as coaching. Coaching, we do everything in the here and now. Counseling can kind of deal with some of those things that 
you want to dig further into. But like I tell everyone, don't jump into 50 things as you're trying to learn to manage your grief. Let's make, you know, I'm big on lists and you can do them on your phone or wherever, but I tell people, let's, let's put this together. What's the first thing you want to tackle? We journal about it. We work on it. And then we go to the next item. I call it chunking it down. Just take a chunk of what's wrong. <laughs> Just chunk it on down. Like and you can have like a chunk that. of it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I think that's great. I'm going to remember that phrase, yeah. chunk it on down. <laughs> I know. Well, I was going to say that oh, that's great to kind of, you help them kind of make baby steps so that there's these small attainable goals, you know, one by one. And then afterwards you can see how much progress you've made, but I like the chunk in it better. <laughs> <laughs> so Eleanor, I know your faith is strong. For many grievers, their faith may be questionable at this point in their lives. How do you help them regain that faith? I let them know it's not overnight. I was mad. I, you know, I didn't understand, but I never tell them that God needed another angel because that just makes me want to punch somebody. We don't know what God needs, (laughs) but (laughs) I definitely tell them all the time, you know, pray if you can, at least once or twice a day, maybe once in the morning, once in the evening, even if it's just like, you know, God, I thank you that, everything is okay. And we're doing the best that we can do. I tell people, you're not required to sit and do a 30 minute prayer. If you don't want to go to church, I I tell them don't. Sometimes that's not the helpmate we think that it is. It doesn't mean your faith is any less than than it was before the person passed. So my biggest thing is just, if you can't handle the people kind of being around you and coming to you with a lot of what they think is soothing, and you don't want to be mean, then it may be best to stay away for a while. And that way, when you do come back, what I did notice is when you stay away for a little bit and you come back, people are less likely to just walk up on you versus if you have a funeral on Saturday and you're back at church on Sunday, they're all just going to surround you and come at you with all these, you know, horrible symptoms that don't work. But let's say you stay away for two or three weeks. And when you do come back, people are kind of like, oh, it's good to see you. And they may leave it at that. And so, like I tell people, take take your faith journey slow. And if you have anger, then you 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 I would say pray with it. If your church offers something you can go to, I know even though my my mind was older, my church offered um I think it was every first Sunday a grief class, and I would go. It was like in between the services, and sometimes I might not want to go to church after because I'd be crying from the class and stuff like that. But I will go to that class. So I tell them if there's things that are offered, take it. Doesn't mean you have to go to church, but go take those items that are offered to help you. And if it's helpful, mine was helpful. I love the class and I love the way they did it. If it is helpful, great. If it's not, don't do it again. And I tell people don't go to groups or any of these places that make you feel strange about your grief. Don't do that. And so I think a lot of people know now I may have to take a little break. Go take the cruise you didn't go on. I hate to say it may help you. Go to the <laughs> islands true. and lay up for a few weeks. Sometimes you just need to, I try to tell my clients, sometimes you just have to close the chatter around you. Right. Mm-hmm. Just kind of unplug and just leave it behind for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. That's that's great. Let me, let me jump in quick and ask. I know several times you've alluded to people that mean well, but they may something that they may say something to you or utter some type of comment that they intend to comfort you. Instead, it just, boy, it settles wrong. 
it's not what you want to hear as someone who is in this intense stage of grief. Can you think from the other side for a minute and maybe offer our listeners some of the things that maybe you heard or that you say to others that would help to comfort? It's, I think, the great one of the greatest fears of everybody. What do I say to this woman yeah. who's just lost her husband? Or what do I say to this family that's just lost a child? Can you offer our listeners any advice maybe on a, a comment that you can say that would be far more meaningful? I would say, you know, the biggest thing you can say is, I love you. And I will contact you in the coming weeks to see what you need. Mm-hmm. That goes such a long way. And a good old fashioned, even though we're in a pandemic, a good old fashioned mm-hmm. quiet hug. Very quiet. Just hug yeah, the yeah. person quietly. You don't have to whisper anything. You don't have to say anything. And maybe kind of grasp their hands and let them know. I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling everything with you, but I'm not going to say anything. Because sometimes what words do, it makes someone fall apart because they're barely holding it together. So sometimes exactly. if you don't hear anything, you're doing good. So, and, and be mindful of cues, be observant, look at the person, see if they're on the verge of tears, or if maybe they've had enough physical contact and maybe they can't handle one more hug and you can maybe, you know, kind of give them a, an elbow bump. I had someone do that to me and I was like, oh, thank you. Cause one more hug, I was on break. And so, you know, just pay attention, give them an elbow yeah. bump and give them a smile. That's helpful. And another thing you can say is I don't know what to say, so I'm not going to mm-hmm. say anything, but I'll, I'm, I'm definitely here to listen at any time you want me to listen. And, you know, again, I will contact you. And the reason I keep saying I will contact you because I've always thought it was crazy that we expect people in grief to contact us. Right. Right. Yeah. Their mind is just not on it. So I always get wonderful feedback from the, I don't know what to say. And I don't know why that is, but I always hear weeks later from the person who's had the issue and they'll go, when you said you didn't know what to say, I just breathed relief. And that just was, and they tell me that they love that I said that. So I've kind of come to think that's kind of the key phrase. I don't know what to say, but I'm here to listen. And that seems to go really far. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that. Thank you. Well, Eleanor, it appears that our time's almost done for today. Do you have anything you'd like to share with our audience? Do you want to talk about what you have to offer on your website, any events or anything you might have coming up? Well, right now I have, and it'll be there soon on the website, probably, probably, I hate to say not for another couple of weeks, I'm going to be offering uh, what they call the grief box. And um Right now, it's kind of in trials of people looking at it. And the grief box will offer you journaling. It will offer tips on getting through those early stages of grief. It will offer you, you know, a nice smelling candle. There will be things in there for you to make memories of even your memorial or whatever you may have done when the person passed. Because COVID is a different type of grief right now. Um, So maybe you had to, you know, do things virtually or however you had to do them. So um, that will be coming in, in, the, in, a, in a few weeks. I'm excited about it. It's, 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 I want it to be a soothing thing for people going through things to receive this, this box and say, oh my goodness, I can journal. Or, oh my goodness, I can put pictures in here that I want to save and just whatever they want to do. And the box will have probably six or seven maybe eight things in it and that are grief related, but to me that lift you up in your grief. 
And so that'll be available on www.eleanorward.com and uh, also easytree.me slash BFTF, where you can find a, a whole lot of stuff about what I do. So it'll be on those two platforms. So that's that's what's coming. I was hoping to have it all done, <laughs> but I don't quite, quite have it. Okay. Well, I have a question for you. If when I went to your website, in fact, I saw a large graphic with bigger fish to fry. Would you tell us what that is? <laughs> bigger fish <laughs> to fry coaching is my name of my company. And it is my logo. And the logo, a lot of people are thrown off. And I should have got off camera because I have on, I actually have on my t-shirt. The logo is actually me in a dress. Uh, when I was dressed up for, I was dressed up actually for church that day. And she's throwing up a pan with a, a fish in it. And a lot of people ask me, why do you say that? I said, because in the middle of a lot of things that were going on in my life, someone told me that um, they had bigger fish to fry than me. And they didn't like the way I moved or talked or did anything. And my <laughs> girlfriend said, you should do something with that. And I kept thinking, what would I do with that? <laughs> It was an insult. And as the days went on, I said, you know what? That's the name of my company because you know what? We do have bigger fish to fry. We've got a life to live. We've got kids to raise. We've got, you know, things to do. Even if you don't have those particular things, you have your life to move forward. So I said, you know what? We all have bigger fish to fry. Even in our grief, we've got more to do than kind of sit and wallow in the grief that we have. So I, I came to embrace what the lady said and now it's the name and face of my company. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I am. Because when I saw that graphic, it just made me smile. Yeah. So, um, And I like how you want to bring laughter into it too, Eleanor, because that's my way of coping with pretty much anything in life <laughs> is to just make a, you know, not make a joke about it, but just to laugh and smile. And it just, you know, gives your brain a few good endorphins again, just like exercise. But I mean, you you have to, you have to kind of smile and laugh about some things and not always be so serious. Right. I, I definitely right. agree. And I, I laugh a lot and you, you yeah. get a lot of judgment about that too. In the grief arena, it's like, well, what are you doing? And I don't, I remember someone said when they came out of my husband's and my son's memorial, I went to a prison memorial and it was so happy. Yours was so sad. It made me feel horrible the rest of the day. And I thought, well, first of all, that's awful to say. But then I thought, well, you know what? Everything with my husband and son was super duper unexpected. I mean, it literally happened in the blink of an eye. And so none of us were expecting it. So I, can't, I couldn't necessarily stick to everything I wanted to, to honor my husband as much as I tried. So I thought, yeah, it could. And I thought about that. I said, hmm, well, it could have been happier. It could have been a little bit better. But you know, that was one of those situations that was just tragedy related. So, but I thought, well, that, that can be a piece of it too. Letting people know as you're planning this, it doesn't have to be so downcast. It doesn't have to be so awful, no matter how bad it is. And we're just, I think the big issue we forget in the States, we are not taught to celebrate life. We're taught that everything is horribly sad. It's over. It's ended. We, we don't give people time to grieve. And you go in other countries and they're taught a celebration of life. So we go, oh, that's disgusting. They're not respecting the dead. And, da, 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 da. <laughs> and so I'm trying to get people a little bit more open about a little bit more respect of life. And the guy that said that, um, he and I actually still talk. He said, I didn't think about that when I blurted it out. He said, I was just so upset and I wanted it mm -hmm. to be happier and I should have said it a different way. 
I said, yeah, but in a sense, I took what you said and thought about it. I couldn't change how the funeral was. Mm -hmm. Uh, I said, but it helped me to understand that when I pass, I want more happiness and more laughter. And I I tell people all the time, there's got to be something that makes you just laugh and smile when you think about the person that's no longer here versus just wanting to burst into tears every single day. And because people do literally walk around with broken hearts because they cannot get out of their grief because they have no idea how to do that. So I I pray for laughter for everybody at some point. Very true. And there are many, many times when just a little touch of humor at the right moment by the right person can be so meaningful. And I think to my husband's funeral, my husband was a retired Army vet, Vietnam vet. So his funeral definitely had military overtones. We had many of his um, brothers from a local Vietnam veterans group there as an honor guard paying tribute. And it was very, very serious, very somber. And after my brother-in-law gave his eulogy, one of my husband's very, very good friends stepped up to the podium to say a few words. And he was very quiet. He stood there for a minute, very quiet. And set his cup of coffee down, and it was a cup of coffee in a paper Tim Hortons cup. <laughs> now, if you're from the house, you may not, you're from the South, I'm sorry. If you're from the South, you may not recognize Tim Horton's name. It's a very, very famous franchise up here in the North, started in Canada. And my husband, every single day, <laughs> had to have a cup of Tim Horton's coffee. Just that simple motion of setting that cup. Yep on the podium without saying a word made me smile the biggest smile and that's probably what i remember most out of that funeral was that single solitary moment that made me smile so definitely humor has a place in even the most serious of topics it it does so again we've managed to just talk ourselves out of time (laughs) But I've enjoyed our conversation. I do want to remind our listeners that if you check the episode notes or if you check on our website, you will see Eleanor's contact information, along with information about her website, her services, and a bit of her background as well, just to refresh your memory. And other than that, boy, do we have some great episodes coming up as well. So we hope that our listeners will tune in again next week. Thanks for listening today. Thanks for giving us your time. And again, just take care of yourselves. Don't forget self-care. It's very, very important as we all continue to live in grief. Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover or do you have a question from one of our episodes? Please email us at info at asiliveandgrieve.com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.